G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As you know, the Morrison government is preparing to release its response to the Ruddock Review of Religious Freedom. And it may be heartening that Prime Minister Scott Morrison, as a Christian, wants to take personal control over the government's position on religious freedom. So as you might imagine, there'll be a lot of debate, perhaps heated debate in the days ahead, about what it is that guarantees the sorts of freedoms that we have come to enjoy in Australia. Well, our pleasure today to welcome back legal philosopher Dr. Augusto Zimmerman, who is back with us just ahead of the release of the final volume in his trilogy of scholarly books that deal with the way that we see foundations of our common law. As with the first two volumes dealing with the British and American examples, Christianity was also embedded in Australian society, especially during those major times of movement of legal reform. And really, we'll get a little bit of a focus today, no doubt, on what happened around the time of federation in Australia. Uh, let's introduce our special guest. The author is legal philosopher Dr. Augusto Zimmerman, who is Professor of Law at Sheridan College, Faculty of Business. He's also Professor of Law Adjunct, the University of Notre Dame Australia School of Law in Sydney. He's President of the Western Australian Legal Theory Association. He's Editor-in-Chief of the West Australian Jurist and former Commissioner with the Law Reform Commission of Western Australia. So a special welcome back to 2020 to you, Dr. Augusto Zimmerman. Uh, Neil, it's a great pleasure to talk to you again. Augusto, this is the third book in the series. Uh, we've taken some time on earlier occasions to talk about those British foundations uh, and also uh, the American foundations where Christianity has been the influence on common law in those nations. It's time for Australia to uh, get some attention today. Uh, this must be quite a, quite a, a significant uh, relief for you, finally, that the third volume is about to be released. Indeed, and also a great pleasure because I can finally address our own country here. Uh, and just to uh, make the point as I make in my book, that uh, Christianity is, uh, is infused in our legal system. Uh, and not only that, but our governmental institutions and customs in this country. Um, even though you know that America and England have very, very strong um, Christian foundations, we can also say that uh, our country in Australia, here in Australia, has a very strong uh, Christian foundation. So what I try to explain in this book is how this uh, is the case, and, um, and I start uh, with even uh, the early settlement here in Australia, uh, talking about, for instance, what Captain uh, Philip trying to enforce in this country, uh, all based on our biblical worldview, indeed. 
Before we get into some of the details, Augusto, sometimes there's confusion. Not everybody has a legal mind in the sense of understanding definitions. So when we talk about common law, what is the difference between common law and uh, the sorts of uh, legislation that our government might pass in the parliament? Uh, How do you describe common law as we're talking about these sorts of foundations of the common law? Well, originally the common law had a very uh, strong Christian foundation, and in many ways when you refer to the common law, you have to refer to uh, biblical principles. Um, Christianity uh, was really naturally manifested in the common law system and was uh, applicable to the different situations. That's why uh, judges had this um, uh, conviction, if I can say, that they should uphold the law rather than uh, create the law. The whole idea about the common law is that the law already exists and needs to be uh, revealed by uh, the judges when they had to face uh, particular cases and decide on the basis of particular matters. Uh, all legal systems in the West were grounded on this assumption that were both biblically based, I must say, that everyone has free will and that morality and ultimately even law is God-given. Interestingly, to reflect back to the time of colonization here in Australia and the chaplains, like the first chaplain to Australia, Richard Johnson, and those who were successive chaplains, because they weren't just churchmen, were they? Because they were also responsible for law and order, and therefore almost uh, like the magistrate on the bench uh, who was dealing out uh, the punishment for those who were wrongdoers. So when we talk about the churchmen at the very beginning of colonization, Uh, What we are talking about here is that common law that uh, is coming from the British foundation uh, that overflows into the Australian context. How do you describe uh, the importance of understanding uh, those sorts of foundations? Uh, It's it's very important, even because, unfortunately, as you know, uh, Australians in general, in this day and age, they have very poor uh, knowledge of history. And I have addressed this... uh, um, matter because I think it's of uh, it's a, of a very uh, it's a very important one that um, our curriculum history curriculum are failing to uh, address the Christian roots of uh, legal institutions or of our uh, political institutions in this country and even how Christianity has been uh, exercising such a great impact on our uh, social mores as well. So if you talk about Captain Arthur Philip, for instance, who was uh, uh, the first person to enforce uh, the laws in this country, English laws, uh, in 1787 uh, with the first uh, British uh, fleet departing for Australia, it's a very important thing to say that he was instructed to uh, apply the law according to the uh, different uh, uh, circumstances that that uh, he would face here in Australia, but these laws were laws that were entirely based on Christian principles. 
for instance, the laws were against blasphemy, were against uh, polygamy, fornication, and things that are actually very much based on the idea of uh, enforcing Christian morality in this country. You referred, for instance, to Richard Johnson, the first reverend, and uh, it's very important that to say that uh, when he came to Australia, he brought uh, about 100 Bibles, uh, 400 New Testament books, and it was really important to say that, uh, that I have to mention now that uh, he, had, he had been instructed to be able to uh, convert convicts and to turn their lives around uh, upside down, I would say, because they, want, uh, they thought that it would be important for the convicts to have a new life in Australia and to be law-abiding citizens ultimately uh, once they had uh, uh, finished to uh, serve their, uh, their penalties here in Australia. So we've got this idea of the chaplain from the First Fleets uh, who was also here with a foundation which was really all about, in some sense, prison reform. So we're talking about law uh, from the chaplain's point of view as much as we are talking about it from the state's point of view. So we've got this connection between church and state uh, right from that beginning of colonization. How do you reflect on on the way the history looks there, Augusto? Well, uh, look, it's a very important thing because then we have uh, in the, uh, now this uh, uh, wrong idea that the, that we have church and state separation, meaning that uh, uh, people of faith should not have an input in uh, uh, the political discussions in this country. Well, as a matter of fact, the idea was to uh, protect people of faith, not to ostracize them not to make them less citizens than others. And I think that's one of my main concerns, and that's why I thought it was so important to address a little bit the historical aspects of this uh, concept. But if you think about, for instance, uh, I'll give you one example of uh, uh, Macquire, who was uh, gov- governor between, um, I think he's eight. 1809 and uh, 1821, he was very, very important. He played really a crucial role in transforming this country into what uh, I would call a model British colony, because uh, he tried to, not only uh, he had the respect for Christianity, but he tried to encourage Christianity, because he thought that this would uh, render uh, this uh, land into uh, a land of redemption. So he actually told the convicts that they should attend Sunday church services. He even attended the first official uh, um, uh, service uh, on a Sunday. And he launched many uh, Christian initiatives. For instance, the school, the the Sunday school movement. He, He actually opened local branches of the Bible Society and even the Foreign Bible Society. So societies that would be created for the purposes of spreading the gospel. He was really uh, aware of the fact that Christianity has uh, a law, and this law is a law of liberty. Interesting to note the flow-on of the effects in Australian society uh, as we talk about Britain uh, right back to colonisation, 1788, 
The American impact on Australia, though, we'd be looking further ahead in our history, wouldn't we, Augusto, to this time of federation for influences that would have come from America rather than Britain. So you had Britain early and then America a little later at the time of federation. What about the American impact on Australia? Well, the the American impact is important because uh, even our the structure of our uh, constitution and the separation of idea of separation of powers uh, came from America in many ways. The whole idea about federation uh, is an American idea uh, derived from scripture. By the way, uh, initially the first federation uh, structure that uh, we, we actually know that about its existence is found in the twelve tribes of Israel. One thing you have to understand, and, and the listeners, is that uh, the idea of federation has very strong biblical roots, and the Calvinists thought that the idea of concentration of power would be really, really problematic. So what they decided to do in America, the Puritans, was to decentralize power so that it prevents us from having concentration of power, because uh, history even now confirms that uh, concentration of power can lead to tyrannical government. And also that we should have the opportunity to have a say on political matters so that we can preserve our rights and freedoms. If uh, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. So the whole idea is intrinsically derived, totally derived from uh, directly from Scripture. Well, this is one of those moments, I suspect, wonderful to pause and reflect on the significance of something you're saying here, Augusto, because you're saying that federation is an American idea, and it comes from the Scriptures, the idea that there were 12 tribes in the nation of Israel. And so when we think of the very fact of where we might be even listening to our conversation today from one of our Australian states or territories. The fact that we have Australian states and territories, uh, you're linking back to this idea of federation that comes from this American idea, which comes really directly from a biblical foundation. That's quite a powerful concept. It is indeed, and it's not really well understood by by many people, including our own political class, because, uh, as you know, in Australia, we have politicians who have a very, very poor knowledge of, of history, and uh, basically new knowledge, no knowledge at all of natural law and jurisprudence. So I think it's a very important thing for us to actually be able to uh, re-educate uh, certain uh, peoples in, in this country, including the political class. We have to understand the meaning and the importance, for instance, of religious freedom, because it was based on this idea that we had, for instance, the pilgrims in America trying to establish a new constitutional framework that ultimately is the one that in many ways, in so many ways, has inspired our country to uh, establish the federal system. And Augusto, this idea of a decentralised power and governmental decision-making, the idea, no doubt, with the decentralising of power is is a protection for us all, a protection from tyranny, where there might be one power that overtakes us and dictates our lives. Is that the way we ought to be looking at the way that we have a a decentralisation in Australia? 
Absolutely, and it works in both horizontal and vertical levels because we have a separation of powers of branches of government uh, amongst these different branches of government. We have executive, we have legislature, and we have the judiciary. But then what we have is further division of power uh, uh, created by the federal uh, model that we have established. So we have a commonwealth, and we have states, and even have local power. So this is actually an idea that perhaps we should avoid uh, giving too much power to a more distant level of power. We should perhaps give priority to uh, levels of power where you, you, you as a citizen can be closer to the uh, legislator. So in many ways, we should not give, to, for instance, to the central government what the local government can do, uh, perhaps uh, in the same in the exercising this, in, uh, its efficiency in the same way, or perhaps even in a more efficient manner. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. And a fascinating conversation today. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316 to join in. Dr. Augusto Zimmerman is our guest. We're talking about his new book. It's the third, vol- the third volume in a series called Christian Foundations of the Common Law. The first two dealt with Britain the, and, and America. This third volume is all about Australia. Augusto, as we develop this conversation just a little deeper here, because what we have in Australia that I guess is the foundation for all of our law is a constitution. What are your reflections on the constitution and the way that it was formed? Uh, this idea that, uh, that you know, it could be a secular document or how spiritual is it if we talk, to, talk about uh, Christian connections to its foundation? Uh, look, um our society has from its very, very beginnings, very, very deep roots, as uh, Christian roots, I must say. Uh, one of the basic issues that uh, we faced during this early period of our country's existence was to secure the removal of religion, not the, the removal of religion, but quite to the contrary, to actually promote what I would call, and I, I mentioned this in my book, religious uh, pluralism. Uh, it's the concern that we should ensure that the religious differences would not turn into religious conflict, but would be uh, protected, would be promoted. And, um, and uh, that is in the context of all the different uh, competitions in terms of ideas, in terms of economic uh, ideas, including. So the Constitution, uh, when it established Section 116, Section 116 establishes the idea that we should not have an official religion, an official church mainly, uh, so that all the different denominations would uh, be uh, competing in the marketplace of religious ideas. So it's very important for us to uh, not accept this claim that somehow Australia is a secular nation in the sense that it would be, in my opinion, a total uh, rewriting of history to not understand that um, 
religion actually played a very important role in, in the establishment of our constitution, the creation of a document that is now the main law, the, the higher law of this land. Uh, from the positive law perspective. So what I have to say is that think about, if you think about the preamble, uh, the, there was an uh, influence uh, of the Christian community to actually uh, force the legislator, and not only the community in general, but even the uh, legislatures of the different states, including Western Australia, Tasmania, that um, the um, drafter of the document should include an acknowledgement of God in the Constitution because that was considered to be so important. Okay, when we reflect on that word secular, a uh, hundred years ago uh, or more, right back to Federation, as you say, it was a, a nice word, a nice word about managing the different streams of religious belief or as a pluralism, as you say, Augusto. But is there a sense, you think, that perhaps in the common use of that word there's been a change of recent times in the way people think about what it is to be secular? There is a change. It is pretty uh, remarkable, this change. In many ways, what we face, in not only in Australia, but in the West in general, is a redefinition of words. Uh, think about the word tolerance, for instance. It used to be uh, that you have the right to disagree respectfully. You accept the other person's opinion, uh, not uh, agreeing with, with the, the opinion, but you, you allow the person to have a different opinion and you can actually agree to disagree. That was the original idea of tolerance. Uh, now has been completely corrupted. So now what we have is uh, people saying that I have to agree with the other person's opinion. That is uh, turning the concept of tolerance into actual intolerance. Uh, that's the same thing about uh, the secular idea. The secular idea was the division of uh, things. I mean, what we had is a separation uh, between uh, the exercise of power by the church and the state. But both would be under God law in many ways, because what we would have here is that uh, an issue of accountability and an, an idea that some laws and some regulations should come not from the church, but coming from the secular government. But the secular government has an obligation in order to, in order to not become tyrannical. And this obligation, above all, is to protect the individual rights and freedoms of the people. Of course, if we believe that these rights are not state-given, then you have the protection that is coming from um, a much, much more uh, much stronger foundation, if I can say, that's the idea that the state doesn't create the rights, but the rights are God-given. Therefore, the state cannot take the rights away. So the government, and if we reflect on Section 116 in the Constitution, the government has the responsibility to protect the rights of the people. And what is being expressly talked about there, Augusto, is the idea that people might have a religious opinion, a religious position. Is that what the focus of that Section 116 is? It's, is it a religious focus? Well, look, Section 18C... Uh, protects religious bodies in this country against uh, 
intrusions, unwanted intrusions of the uh, federal government. Uh, Section 116 limits only the federal tier of government to legislate with respect to uh, religion. So what it basically does is to say that uh, we have the the, uh, freedom to uh, choose our own religious uh, positions and convictions, but it doesn't mean that the state should not necessarily uh, be able to uh, support religious manifestations if that is considered to be for the advancement of the common good. The idea of religious freedom doesn't mean that you, you have to take the idea out of context and say that it is an absolute right. It is a religious freedom in the context of a religious uh, tradition, and that is a Christian tradition. So if religion can be used for the purpose of um, uh, violating other basic rights, including the rights of life and the, li- the right to freedom, then uh, it is not to be regarded as a proper use of the concept of religious freedom because it has to be placed in the context of rights in general. Okay, so uh, protecting the rights of religious freedom isn't about protecting an evil intent that might come from a religious perspective, uh, but in fact, because of this issue of common law, as you say, and the foundations that we have that might take us back to a biblical understanding, a biblical idea perhaps of Ten Commandments, that that protection actually comes for the people uh, who are living under uh, the different pluralistic ways that religion actually expresses itself in the society. Now, we're running out of time a little bit before the news, so I want to keep these thoughts and continue to build on some of these after Vision National News. I want to invite listeners. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You can join in our conversation or you can leave a question or a comment on our Facebook page. It is an engaging conversation. I hope you can be a part of it. Uh, The book we're talking about is the third volume in a three-volume set, Christian Foundations of the Common Law. Uh, We've talked about Britain, we've talked about America. Today, we're talking about our foundations in Australia. Back with more shortly. Augusto, before we deepen our conversation even further, let's take a call from Steve in Parks in New South Wales, who's waiting patiently on the line. Hello, Steve. Welcome along. Uh, G'day, Brother Neil and Brother Dr Zimmerman. How are you both today? Very well, Steve. I'm glad to hear you back, Brother Neil. Well, I'm glad to be back. I have a a question for Dr Zimmerman. Um, I hear so much about this talk about rights, Dr Zimmerman, but if Mm. Australia doesn't have a Bill of Rights like America, Mm. um, based on the old UN Declaration of Human Rights, 1948 to 1998, Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, a, a very gifted um, uh, a, a lawyer, Dr. Herbert Vera Everett. He helped mm-hmm. to engineer those. But since 2000, that, those rights have been swept away. Um, is it time that this country... And we've seen the, the rise in Australia, right across the country, of wage slavery and inequality. Is it mm-hmm. time that Australia had a Bill of Rights, Dr Zimmerman, based on those old UN Declaration of Human Rights. Steve, good thoughts on that. Let's get a response from Augusto Zimmerman. 
Well, look, it is a, a, a difficult uh, question to answer because in America, as you know, they have a Bill of Rights, and um, unfortunately, the Bill of Rights can be used in the wrong way. Uh, you think about, for instance, um, the right, um, the supposed right to slavery that uh, was found as derived from the Fifth Amendment in the American Constitution, and that is the right to property. And unfortunately, the, the Supreme Court of the United States interpreted that particular provision as somehow guaranteeing the right to property over another human being. And that is one of the leading causes, became one of the leading causes of the civil war in America, when the Supreme Court constitutionalized slavery through the Bill of Rights. Another thing the Supreme Court has done using the Bill of Rights is to constitutionalize the abortional demand. And that was also derived from a, a misinterpretation of uh, the Fifth Amendment, saying basically that uh, uh, a woman has a right uh, over her own body, a right to privacy that's actually nowhere to be found in the Constitution as well. So abortion became a right derived from a non-existing right, which is a product of a very creative interpretation of uh, that particular provision in the American Bill of Rights. So my answer is that um, it's um, not necessarily going to be a guarantee, because then you have basically the judiciary uh, using the Bill of Rights in order to, in many ways and on many instances, to impose their own worldview. And the judiciary elite is not necessarily uh, manifesting the will of the population in general because they are not elected by the people. They are appointed and they come from a certain uh, elite. And the elite's uh, worldview is not necessarily the same worldview uh, or ideas and ideologies of the majority of the population in, uh, in our country. So... I'm not so sure where we should go for this idea, but certainly we need, desperately need to uh, start choosing better our political uh, representatives in Parliament. That's a very important thing, because ultimately we have to make sure that people who make the laws in this country are going to uphold rights and freedoms. And you're totally right to say that over the last years we have seen a remarkable erosion of rights and freedoms in this country, primarily as a result of bad legislation. Okay, thank you so much to Steve from Parks in New South Wales. Our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316. A comment from our Facebook page, Augusto, from Ashraf Salah who says it's increasingly clear that we as a society are veering away from biblical principles due to an increase in godlessness. No God means we do what is right in our own eyes. And, sorry, I've just lost my place here. Uh, do what is right in our own eyes. And this is occurring with marriage, with education, with euthanasia, with termination of pregnancy, and with the freedom of conscience. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Wisdom of the past is being shunned as outdated in the progressive yet self-righteous postmodern thinking. Uh, what are your thoughts for that listener leaving their note on Facebook? I think uh, the, the, the point is completely accurate, and it's a very valid one, uh, because um, if we uh, undermine the philosophical underpinnings for um, our 
not only uh, constitutional uh, framework, but also for the protection of fin the fundamental rights and freedoms, then basically we reached the point where might makes right. Uh, of course, like if you think that uh, uh, right, the concept of right has a solid foundation uh, derived from our Christian heritage, then even if you do not necessarily believe in the idea of God, you act actually will be grateful to know that um, people believe that these rights are not just an imposition or a creation or, or being designed by uh, political authority. So we have, because that's a very simple thing, I have mentioned it before, that if you believe that um, the idea of rights is just about personal uh, values and personal points of view, then uh, we don't have the foundation anymore. And everybody can create rights and they can also undermine the rights. So there is now a, a, a movement to create new rights that ultimately can undermine the fundamental rights of the citizen because the idea of right is not an uh, indivisible one. I have explained that there are many uh, different, uh, there are many different kinds of rights. Some rights can actually uh, clash with other rights, and who is going to make the decision as to whether the right, uh, the particular right, should remain, is ultimately going to be the decision made by judges and politicians in this country. So it's a very dangerous idea, I must say, because then uh, rights are not entirely uh, founded or protected by uh, these uh, 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 higher principle. Oh, powerful response. Uh, this idea, Augusto, of who determines whose rights are most valid. And if you move away from the idea that God is the one who is above our rule of law, then uh, it's bedlam and uh, it's one right against another and uh, ultimately potentially uh, conflict. Uh, let's, uh, let's just encourage listeners, 1-800-316-316, if you'd like to join in our conversation, we are talking about Christian foundations of the common law. Uh, the third volume in a three-volume set, this one's all about Australia. And uh, the relevance of this, Augusto, if we bring this into the present circumstance, because we're about to launch into this whole debate on religious freedom, uh, with the Morrison government soon to uh, give its position on what's happened with the Ruddock Freedom Review, uh, you mentioned just before the news uh, that it's not an absolute right to have freedom of religion, I wonder whether you can enlarge a little upon that because uh, these foundations of our common law uh, shed light on, on this religious freedom question. Look, uh, Neil, um, freedom of conscience uh, demands the idea of a limited government. So religious freedom is a right that everyone should be able to enjoy. So religious freedom is a fundamental right. And this right is actually granted, not, as I have mentioned in my book, uh, I don't believe the right is granted by government, but it's actually granted by the Creator. It's granted by God. So if you respect, um, if the government respects uh, freedom of conscience, a government acknowledges that um, ultimate issues, are, uh, issues, I must say, are outside uh, the jurisdiction of the state. So you actually have the idea that um, people have uh, the freedom to engage in um, debate 
with any other person, and a free society then allows religion to be an ally of good government and serve the common good. Uh, the High Court has mentioned that um, uh, it is an important thing to have religious freedom, but also says that religious freedom is not an absolute right. It is the right to be exercised according to the boundaries of a free society, and the free society ultimately, according to um, history, history tells us, is a society based on the fact that citizens can enjoy fundamental rights, God-given rights and freedoms. But if you have a different religious worldview, uh, for instance, that um, uh, promotes the idea of uh, violence or refuse to accept the rule of law, then uh, the high court and other courts in this country has, they have basically stated that this is not to be protected by the uh, right to religious freedom. <clears throat> so the right can't be absolute if this is being exercised to undermine our fundamental rights and freedoms to life, liberty and property. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Lawrence in Perth. Hello, Lawrence. Welcome along. Thank you. Uh, yes, one of the candidates for the Wentworth by-election has been saying that the, uh, uh, it's, uh, regarding the religious dis uh, um, discrimination uh, legislation or whatever's being looked at um, under the Rudd, uh, Ruddock review, um, she depending on what that says, it could undermine the current anti-discrimination laws in existence. Could your guest comment on that, please? Augusto. Yes, uh, thank, thank you for uh, your question. Um, I've, another uh, important right that you, we should uh, enjoy in this country is um, the right to uh, freedom, uh, to have exercise freedom of association. I don't think that the state should be imposing uh, upon certain groups uh, a certain, uh, certain values. I think we should, for instance, if you have a hold uh, uh, organizations and institutes that are uh, created or constituted for the purposes of advancing a particular worldview, to have um, the state imposing upon these entities uh, certain rules and regulations and even um, derived from anti-discrimination law uh, uh, provisions that can actually uh, undermine the ethos of this institution. Religious, uh, religious freedom uh, also has a connotation of uh, allowing for freedom of association. And uh, if we undermine freedom of association at uh, the level of religion, we would also have to think about the other associations that uh, exist in this country that somehow uh, uh, promote certain values. And, uh, and as a result of this, we will discriminate certain people, but not in a negative fashion. For instance, I, I don't think that a person who happens to be uh, a liberal will necessarily join the Communist Party and be accepted to be the president of this party. At the same time, if I oppose uh, global warming, I would never be accepted to be the um, member of, um, for instance, the WWF uh, Foundation so, and other environmental groups. So 
is these groups, even the Labour Party or the Liberal Party, will actually have certain rules that will uh, protect their uh, identity from external attack. So it makes no sense to me if I create, for instance, a Christian college that I should not be able to hire people who just happen to agree with the ethos of the college. That is what I don't understand, because it is a basic premise of every democratic country and society that people have the right to establish their own associations and have the freedom to decide on the structure and functioning, functioning and even membership of these associations. Thank you so much to Lawrence from Perth. Let's take another call. Chris is on the line from Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Uh, good day, Neil. Yeah, I just want to make a quick comment. It's just like um, if Prime Minister Morrison is going to get uh, sort of attacked for his Christian faith on, on this uh, religious freedom thing, well, he should uh, speak to the other religious leaders and say to them, it's much easier and safer for you to be like a Muslim Hindu or Buddhist in Australia than it would be for me, Scott Morrison, in one of your countries. You know what I'm saying? There's no religious freedoms at all. And yet, like, when people come here, they talk about religious freedoms, but they still try to undermine Christianity. So that's just my point. A good point, Chris. And you might like to enlarge here, Augusto, because as we bring Scott Morrison into the conversation as the Prime Minister, as someone who is wearing loudly and proudly his Christianity and has a long history as a Christian believer, Christians have not typically been treated so well in the public arena. What are your thoughts for Chris and with regards to the Prime Minister? Well, uh, it's a very uh, bold thing of him to um, express his Christian faith, and that uh, is uh, even uh, a relief to many Christians to know that uh, we have a prime minister who uh, uh, is so open about his faith. But we have to understand also that uh, a faith that is not bearing fruits is not going to be... um, uh, you know, uh, in many ways, uh, an authentic one. So what I am expecting of the Prime Minister is to make bolder statements and measures uh, to reestablish free speech in this country. When uh, Scott Morrison was the um, treasurer, he was um, not really bold enough to speak out against Section 18C, for instance, in other, in other uh, provisions uh, in our uh, codes that basically undermine this basic fundamental right. I think it's time for him to do something more effective in this regard, if he really has a concern for his uh, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. So uh, what I want to see of Scott Morrison is actually a little bit more of action. Another thing is that I don't think it was good for him to not... uh, 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 honor Tony Abbott, for instance, was uh, a pretty good prime minister, in my o- opinion, my personal opinion. And he happens to be a Christian. And uh, another person, Senator Abetz, I don't understand why Scott Morrison is treating uh, his own brothers in Christ in such a manner. I think he, his cabinet is quite undesirable, and I think he could and should be doing a better job. Okay, thank you so much to Chris from Victoria and controversial comments about the makeup of the cabinet and the prime minister and a demand for 
certain substance to come that uh, really ought to accompany uh, the idea of having Christian faith. Uh, Sometimes, Augusto, uh, people who are in authority and political leadership, uh, sometimes they separate their faith as something they do on Sunday uh, from the sorts of decisions that they make through the week uh, come Monday. Uh, There is something there that I suppose is is a, a message for all of us not to be Sunday Christians, but all the more important when you are leading the nation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because uh, uh, you know, you know, you know the, the the tree by the fruits that the tree bears. So, in many ways, what we have to do is to be consistent to our faith and to uphold not just a, a religious belief, but actually to put the belief in practice. So, we need to be salt and light. And certainly uh, we have to know and understand that the Bible is very clear about those who claim to be Christians, but do not do the will of the Lord. So I just wait, I'm waiting a little bit before I can pass judgment on, on Scott Morrison or give my opinion about him, but I expect him to uphold a biblical worldview. Okay, we're running out of time. Let me just come back to your new book, Christian Foundations of the Common Law. It's the third volume in a three-volume set. This one is all about Australia and the Christian foundations of the common law in our nation. You've got a number of launches, official launches, for your book coming up. I know that there's one on the 17th of October in Brisbane, then there's another launch on the 23rd of October in Sydney. Uh, are there a number of other launches too in some other states and territories, Augusta? Uh, I, I will probably hold one in Western Australia. Uh, I have a uh, 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 chat with Margaret Court, and uh, Margaret Court is a very good friend of mine, and perhaps we're going to hold this at her Victory Life, Life Church. I'll, I'll let uh, uh, people know about this. But uh, the confirmed one is on the 17th, as you say, in October, uh, the, uh, uh, on my Wednesday in Brisbane, and on the 23rd of October at Notre Dame Law School in Sydney. And you, know, you, know, you can know more about this uh, going to my Facebook. Okay, so Augusto Zimmerman, look for Augusto's Facebook page. And, of course, if you want to get a hold of the book, Christian Foundations of the Common Law, Volume 3, all about Australia, uh, I, I imagine uh, people will be able to buy all three volumes, uh, but uh, I, I assume they can buy bo- volumes separately as well. Connor Court is your publisher, and uh, no doubt people, if they uh, Google Christian Foundations of the Common Law, you'll be able to get a hold uh, of that book through Amazon, no doubt through Christian bookstores everywhere as well. Uh, well, just always a privilege getting an opportunity to have an engaging conversation with you, Dr. Augusto Zimmerman. Uh, we mentioned uh, Professor of Law at Sheridan College, also Professor of Law Adjunct at the University of Notre Dame, uh, Australian School of Law in Sydney, also President of the Western Australian Legal Theory Association, Editor-in-Chief of the Western Australian Jurist and former Commissioner with the Law Reform Commission of Western Australia. Augusto, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart and uh, the detail of what is in your new book all about Australia, Christian Foundations of the Common Law. Thanks for being with us once again today on 2020. Thank you very much, Neil, and God bless you and your listeners. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. 
Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.